Now, I want to start this morning with a rather somber thought uh, because that is the subject of our two psalms today. In these psalms, we see that we are weak and fragile and dying. I am weak and fragile and dying. You are weak and fragile and dying. And this awareness of our mortality breaks down our self-sufficiency. It breaks down our self-confidence and our self-importance. It spoils our delusions that we will live forever. And it drives us to God. It presses us to God where we find everlasting joy and hope and love and eternal life. So in just a moment, we're going to read portions of Psalm 39 and Psalm 90. One is a psalm by David. The other, Psalm 90, is a psalm by Moses. So you can get your bulletins ready because we will read that in just a moment. But I want to start by giving you a brief background for Psalm 39. In Psalm 39, David is upset. He says he is in anguish. He says that he is under God's discipline for something. We don't know what it is, but as he sees it, God is dealing with him. God is taking away something precious or dear to him. And very likely, it is his own life and strength that he sees slipping away. And he is deeply frustrated because he sees how short life is and how painful things fill up so many of our days. So it's this kind of dual realization that I don't have that many days and so many of my days that I do have are filled up with pain, even though he understands that some of that is from the Lord's discipline. But he's so frustrated that he said, I better not say anything. If I do, it will be something I shouldn't say. I will watch my ways, David said, and keep my tongue from sin. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle. But even this self-imposed silence doesn't seem to help. He said, my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. And the next thing David does is pray. In, in his bitter frustration, he begins to pray. And surprisingly, in his prayer, he sees even more fully how brief life is. And he also sees his need to know that. And that leads him to a greater revelation of how God is his only hope. It's a simple but powerful revelation that we all need. It's one thing to just verbalize or say, my hope is in God. It is another thing to truly feel that all your other hopes are gone and to have the truth that God is your only hope pressed upon you forcefully. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I've always loved that quote. But if, if pain is God's megaphone, 
Death is God's thunder. God is shouting, your life is temporary. You will take nothing with you from this world and before you know it, life will be passed. Only one life will soon be passed. Put your hope in me and in my loving kindness. And there's no security, no lasting hope, no lasting joy anywhere else. So here we go. Let's read Psalm 39 and then Psalm 90. Psalm 39, 4 through 7. Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days as mere as a mere hand breath. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, but only in vain. He heaps up wealth, not knowing who will get it. But now, O oh Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. And then Psalm 90, Psalm of Moses, verses 10 through 12. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Both David and Moses not only accept their own mortality, but they seek to be made more aware of it. It is good to be made more aware of the frailty of your life. Not because frailty and mortality, brevity of life are good in themselves, but because they press us into God like nothing else. A devotional I read on Psalm 90 said, we are armed and eminently more dangerous when we spend time and energy contemplating the shortness of our lives. Facing the frailty of our lives is necessary to wisdom. Teach me to number my days so that I can present a heart of wisdom where I can live wisely out from my heart. Facing the frailty of our lives is necessary to wisdom. We live foolishly. We, we tend to live foolish, wasted lives by ignoring the shortness of life. For some, that leads to eternal death because they never seriously prepare to meet God. Many Christians lose much eternal reward by living mostly for what they think will make them happy today. Jesus said there are those who store up treasure here on earth but are not rich toward God. And I'm sure that that statement was aimed primarily at those who were without God completely but it has an application for us as believers. We are to be rich toward God and contemplating our own mortality, contemplating our, the, own, our own, the fact that we're weak and fragile and dying 
should highly motivate us to focus on things that would make us rich toward God. A Bible teacher named Bob Diffenbaugh said, ignoring death and denying the reality of our transitory existence is not good for us. A false sense of optimism turns men's minds from God. So there's, these are sober thoughts that we're looking at this morning, but they have a beneficial result and outcome for our soul and for our hearts and for our future. Remembering how short our lives are here focuses us on things that matter. It motivates us to seek first his kingdom. Until you realize that your projects and possessions, your beauty and strength are all fading away, you will not be inclined to turn to God as the treasure of your life. Until you realize that life is fleeting, you will not passionately seek after God and all the eternal things that he has for you. We must be shaken out of our pursuit of happiness in the same things that everyone else is pursuing. We, we're not to be shaken out of pursuit of happiness. Don't misunderstand me. We, we, we pursue happiness in God. But we must be shaken out of our pursuit of happiness in the same things that the world is going after to make them happy. And it is, it is recognizing the fleeting and fragile nature of life alone that can shock us into looking beyond this world for satisfaction and joy in God. And that's why we should pray. And probably very few of, a few of us tend to pray this kind of prayer, but it's why we should pray. Lord, teach me to be aware that my life is coming to an end. Teach me to be aware of how short my life is. Uh, or as David said in Psalm 39, teach me how fleeting my life is. And that's all really the same thing that Moses said when he said, teach me to number my days. Now, I'm going to turn to some different passages in Psalms, including from the ones that we've read, but add some other verses that, that communicate this. Because this, the reason I chose this topic uh, before we get out of the book of Psalms is, is because of how prevalent, how big a topic this is through the book of Psalms. Psalm 144.4, man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Uh, Psalm 39.5 in the New Living Translation says, you have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. And ESV and the NIV say hand breath, but a hand breath was the width of four of your fingers. And so that's what, David is saying, you've made my life no longer than the width of my hand. Verse, verse six, the NIV, man is a mere phantom as he bustles about. We are busy, we're doing stuff, we, we bustle about, but our lives will disappear from this earth before we know it. You know, sometimes I think, wow, Where's, where's my mom and where's my dad? Where are Cindy's mom and dad? Where, where are all my aunts and uncles? 
Most of them are all gone, and many of, many of my cousins even, and some nephews. And I, you know, I know that those, I, I know the theological answer, yes, they're those that know the Lord are in heaven. But there's a sense in which we need to just real, stop and realize that as far as our physical lives here on this earth, we are like a phantom and we soon disappear. And that's through all throughout the Bible. James says we're just like a vapor that appears for just a little while and then vanishes. We feel so solid, uh, so indestructible, but we're not. And the Bible comes and vividly, uh, powerfully impresses this message upon us because God knows we need to hear that. Psalm 90, 5 and 6. Uh, this is from Psalm 90, which we read earlier. It's, diff- it's from different verses, but it says, the children of men are like a dream. The children of men are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. It's like a dream. Our life is like a dream. And a dream can seem so real when you're dreaming, uh, but it's so hard to hold on to when you wake up. It's just, it, it has this way of just disappearing or dissipating. And I, probably some of you hold on to your dreams better than I do, but I, sometimes I'll wake up at the night, I'll have a dream, I'll get up, go back to bed, and I'll think, okay, what was it I was dreaming? And I almost try to go back to it. Hardly ever can I, can I re- remember. The children of men are like a dream. Or like grass. Grass springs up and withers almost like it never existed. Uh, I read a man recently who said that he he was struck by how quickly life is fading when his son asked him what his grandfather's name was and he couldn't even remember his name. Psalm 90 and uh, verse 10 says the years of our lives are soon gone and we fly away. Our life is something like a bird that comes and lands on a branch for a moment and then just as quickly flies away. I mean, if you, uh, I enjoy watching birds. If you, if you see a bird land somewhere, I mean, you gotta, you gotta look at it quickly because it's not gonna stay there very long. You fly away. Our, that's what our life is like, uh, Moses says in Psalm 90. Psalm 49, uh, verse 11 and 12, the New American Standard, it says, their inner thoughts, people's, he's talking about the wealthy, the proud of this world, their inner thought is that their houses are forever. And they have named their lands after their own names. But man in his splendor will not endure. He is like the animals that perish. I mean, we are so different from the animals made in the image of God and yet our physical bodies perish just like the animals. Psalm 89, 48, who can live and not see death? Who can escape the power of the grave? Psalm 103 talks about how the Lord is mindful that we are but dust he says mortal man is like the grass of the field that perishes well what is the point 
it's, it is to make us despair in a sense. <laughs> it, but it is, to, it is to create a kind of despair that will lead us to God. Yeah. It's to wake us up to the reality that we are weak and fragile and dying and will lose everything and to drive us to God and to hope in God and to live for God and to live our lives unto God who is eternal. You know, after uh, realizing that his life was but a shadow or a phantom, David said in verse seven, which is really the key verse to this psalm and I think in some ways the key verse to this whole truth that we're talking about, he reaches this conclusion, he says, in light of all of this reality, in light of this, the brevity, the fragility, the fleeting nature of life, in light of the fact that we're dying, he says, and now, O Lord, where do I put my hope? Or for what do I wait? Or what do I look forward to? My only hope is in you. Amen. Hope is a confident expectation of good and ultimate happiness. And placing hope in God, when David says, my only hope in you, he's saying, you are my only hope of future good and happiness. I'm, I'm, I'm putting my hope lock, stock, and barrel in you. I'm risking everything. I'm venturing everything on you, Lord, as my hope for future good. And so awareness of how frail and fleeting our lives are should powerfully direct our hearts toward God. It should just bring our lives into this laser focus on God and that we are tuned into God. We are giving God all of our attention we're putting all of our hopes in him, trusting him to be our, our joy and our goodness and to supply us richly with all things to enjoy, as Paul said he does. We're going to talk more about that, but I want to interject a couple of thoughts right now that I, I think are really important on this whole discussion. There is a wrong response to the fleeting nature of life that we need to be warned about. The world understands in some way the brevity of life. And their response is, as Paul said, let us eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Let's live for ourselves. Let's live for our pleasures Let's live even more for us because life is short and we're going to die. And there is a milder but dangerous version of this that is accepted by many Christians and that is the idea that life will be over someday soon so let's make sure we do everything on our bucket list before we die. Now wanting to enjoy or accomplish certain things before we die is not wrong. But awareness that our life is coming to an end is not primarily to motivate us to aggressively pursue our own pleasures. It is to turn our hearts to God where we find 
In his presence, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Psalm 1611. If, if we get deceived in the name of a bucket list of spending our lives seeking things other than God, we are settling for less pleasure and less joy, not more. And again, inherently there is not, nothing, if you've got a list of things you want to do, inherently there's not, nothing wrong with having a list of things that you want to do or accomplish before you die. I'm not, not necessarily knocking that idea. But if you do have a bucket list, how about adding to your bucket list things like this, that you want to be more filled with the Spirit every year you live till the year you die. Or add this from Psalm 146, I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to God as long as I live. I mean, what a great thing to have on your bucket list. Or something like this, I want to be a greater blessing to God's people. I want to be a greater blessing to the church family, to others in the church. David tells us something on his bucket list in Psalm 71, 18. Even when I am old and gray, God, do not abandon me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. David's saying, hey, before I die, I want to tell everybody about your power. I want to declare it to this generation. That's what he wanted to do before before he died. And, and, and when we have a proper understanding of the weakness, frailty, brevity of life, and we are driven to God in the right kind of way, those are the kind of things that we'll, we'll put at the top, at least, of our bucket list. It is also important to this whole discussion to realize that the shortness and weakness of human life is the result of sin and judgment in the world. It's, it's the result of something gone terribly wrong in our relationship with God. It's, it's not merely that we are just biological beings and death is sort of a natural outcome. No, we die. Our lives are short because of, of sin. Our days are numbered because of sin. Psalm 90, for we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our sins, in the light of your presence. He's saying that's why our days are numbered. Romans 5.12, sin came into the world and through one man, um, uh, I, somehow I've got that verse wrong. No, it's, it's, it is, I think it is Romans 5.12. Sin came into the world through one man and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We... Our spirit is alive because of righteousness, it says, but our bodies die because of sin. And yet, the story of the gospel, the story of the Bible, the story of hope that we have is that through God's amazing grace and the gift of Jesus, our weak, fragile, dying condition can have a glorious outcome through faith in Jesus Christ. All right, I want to focus on, on four things that I, that I think we really need to, to learn from this. And some of this will be a little, a little bit repeat, but I just want to kind of 
bring our focus in, into four things that I think we really need to take home with us from, from this. The first is what we've, we've already been talking about. Let the awareness of your own mortality drive you to God. We had a very uh, dear friend of ours came over uh, to talk to Cindy one afternoon and uh, was pretty emotionally upset and she said, I'm just becoming more aware of my own mortality. It was just, just disturbing. Um, and we might think, well, that's, that's a that's a bad thing. You shouldn't think about that. Okay, just, no, don't think about that. Well, no, that's not what God says. We, sh- we should, that's a good thing. That's, okay, yeah, we, sh- we should accept that. We're all, we're all gonna die. Let's, let's use that reality to turn us to God, to drive us to God for hope and happiness and security. Let, let your own mortality make you a passionate God seeker. Yes. Let let your own mortality kind of gather up all the loose ends of your life and let it cause you to focus in on God. The beginning of Psalm 90 says, God is eternal and we are temporary. It's, that's, it's from that same psalm, Psalm 90, where Moses says, and, and we fly away. That's what he, how he describes life. But if, we're, if God is eternal, and if we're here only for a moment, we, we need to be united to the eternal God. We need an eternal God or an eternal home, and we only find that in God. There's an old hymn, O God, our help in ages past our help for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. We need that sense that we, have, have a, that we are connected to God who is eternal, and so we have an eternal home. We will live eternally at home with God. An old commentator by the name of John Trapp said, He that dwelleth in God cannot be unhoused. I like that. He that dwelleth in God cannot be unhoused. Matthew McCullough said, we live in a rented world. Now, I'd never heard that phrase before, but I really like that. You know, we live in a rented world. It's not permanent. And using that same word picture, we're going to get evicted someday. We need a home that cannot be taken from us. And that's only found in God. And so this temporary nature of our lives should, should drive us to that home, to, to enjoying, to living in God's presence, to living life with God, like we talked about a few weeks ago. It should, it should drive us to that kind of living, that that kind of security in God. The men and women of, of faith that we studied in Hebrews 11 says they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And then it says something very interesting. Not only did they kind of feel out of place in this world, they, they kind of came to the place where 
this world doesn't feel all that comfortable to us and there's, there's, a, there's a certain alienation or even hostility about the world. But it says they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And if, if we are awake, awakened spiritually at all, spiritually at all, we, we want something more than what we find here. We do not find life here to be enough for us. I was out walking this morning early and just, you know, barely awake. I do, I do that, just pretty much go from bed to tennis shoes to, to walking. And I was, just, I was just thinking about that. Uh, Lord, there's this, this life doesn't have enough here to satisfy my soul. I, I want you. I want more than what I find here. And I was thinking about this Psalm 90. I mean, that's, that's why David, or I'm sorry, that's why Moses cried out at the end of Psalm 90, O Lord, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. And that's really what I was praying this morning. Just, wow, there's this life. I was thinking about some troubles I had with with work and some other things that had been kind of weighing on me and I just thought Lord satisfy me with your loving kindness that I that I may sing for joy and be glad all of my days I mean that's what I want isn't that what you want don't you want to be able to sing for joy and be glad all your days that's what we all want what we have here is not enough it's too short and it's too filled with pain it's too fragile Things in this world just don't do the job. Only God can. And again, uh, Matthew McCullough, who I've quoted, quoted a couple times, he wrote a great book on, on the importance of death awareness, as he calls it in our lives. But he said Psalm, the, the message or the theme of Psalm 90 is, is this. Teach me, O Lord, to live with the reality of my death so that I can live in the gladness of your love. Because it's, 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 it's the reality of the fragility and the fleeting nature of life and the, uh, the oncoming approach of death that, that, that drives us to God and drives us to, uh, to find this kind of joy or gladness that causes our heart to sing for joy and to be glad all of our days. You know, the Psalms, one thing I love about the Psalms, the Psalms are all about you and me finding happiness. They really are. I mean, the Psalms, the Psalms are all about this delight in God. As C.S. Lewis said, the, the thing I appreciate most about the Psalms is that I see this, this delight in God that made David dance. I mean, the Psalms are all about finding happiness, but finding happiness and pleasure in God and in his steadfast love. Houses, clothes, beauty, travel, camping, property, success in business, nothing in this life is sufficient to satisfy your soul. They have a place, but... Only God is sufficient for our inward lasting happiness.
second uh, truth or thought that I want to um, want us to remember I think is really important from this and this for this we kind of jump out of the Psalms into the big picture of the Bible and the gospel but the second thing we should remember is that death death makes Jesus precious to us it is it is the awareness of death or the awareness that we're dying people that makes Jesus's promise of eternal life precious I mean if death is not a problem, Jesus won't be much of a solution. It, it is because we are weak and fragile and dying that Jesus and all he has promised to us is so precious to us. It's because of that that we look forward to the place Jesus is preparing for us where it says he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death and Jesus said truly I say to you the one who believes in me will live even if he dies it's when the reality of, of death and that we are gonna die it's when that sinks in upon us that that verse has such a profound effect on our hearts truly I say to you the one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And there's a lot of things that God does for us in this life. And you, you, if you know my teaching and preaching, I, I mean, I emphasize and focus on, you know, how much we walk with God now, how we enjoy God now, how we praise God now. And, I mean, what a, what a wonderful experience it is living with God now. And abundant life does begin here and now. Uh, we become new creations, new people here and now. We, we experience the goodness of God. We experience the pleasure of knowing God now. But the big promise that he makes is that if we trust him, we can live with God and enjoy him forever. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but we'll have everlasting life. Death is the most feared thing in all of life. And it, it takes away everything and everybody from us. And with the exception of Jesus, uh, no one has ever escaped it. Pascal, the French, not sure what, he was a philosopher and scientist, I think, combined. Uh, Pas Pascal des described our human condition as like that of condemned men waiting our own turn to die. And as we see others die, it reminds us that our own turn is coming. Now, honestly, he put it in much more gruesome terms than that but I, I, wanted to sp I spared, spared you that. But that is the reality and that's what makes what Jesus did for us so amazing, so precious, so wonderful. Hebrews 2, 2 says that Jesus suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death 
for everyone. He suffered death so that he might taste death for you. And by his death, he broke the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and he freed those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. And so we, 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 have the, we face the reality of death, but we go to Jesus and we find this amazing victory over death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? It's not there. Jesus removed it. And if, if you are united to Jesus, you can face death right in the face and have no fear. Amen. Because we, we come out of death, or we come out on the other side of death, in complete victory and resurrection and glory. The third lesson, uh, the third and fourth, m- maybe or not as quite as important in some ways as the first two, but yet I, they're, they're in the scripture and I think they're, they are pretty important just because they're what God says. Uh, the shortness of life or the fragility of life delivers us from fearing other people. Psalm 49, uh, 16 and 17 says, Do not be afraid when a person becomes rich. When the splendor of his house is increased. For when he dies, he will take nothing with him. And it goes on to talk about how man in his splendor or man in his pomp is like the beasts of the field. They all perish. We're not to live in fear of anybody. We're not to be overly impressed by anybody. No person is really big. Or important. We're not to live in, in people's apparent or seeming power over us or to hurt us. We're to remember that they are just people. They're weak and dying men, just like we are. And that's what Isaiah 51, uh, verses 12 and 13 says. God, God says, God says, Hey, I, I am the one who comforts you. I am your comforter. I am the one who comforts you and protects you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies or the son of man who is made like grass? God says, I, I'm the eternal God. <laughs> who are you that you are afraid of man who dies? The son of man who is made like grass that you have forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. So we're not, we're not to be afraid of any, any human being. We're, God is our protector. The, God, the one who made, the one who stretched out the heavens, our maker, the one who laid the foundations of the earth, he's the one who comforts us. He's our God. And then the fourth lesson is understanding our mortality frees us from the burden of trying to be something more than we are or the burden of trying to be something we're not. You know, in the end, we are just people. And a lot of times, and I, for some, I've told this to Cindy, I don't, maybe she said it to me first, but you know, sometimes you just you feel the, you just kind of feel the pressure to, to, to do something more or more significant, or you're feeling the pressures and responsibilities of life, and, or something, you try to do something like, 
whatever, preach a message <laughs> or do something, whatever you do. And it just, you know, it just isn't quite what you want it to be. And just, hey, we're just people. We're weak. We're, we're frail. And God, sometimes God lets us really feel how, how weak and fragile and frail we are. But this, this reality, this Bible reality and understanding it, it frees us from a false sense of self-importance or even feeling like we should be important or we should have to try to be important. Uh, one of the biggest burdens of life is the burden of trying to be somebody or be something. And this frees us from just from being under the false condemnation of being ordinary. You know, you've, you've heard the saying, I'm sure, that um, we're just ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. And we need to keep that mentality. You know, Psalm, Psalm 103 says, the Lord has compassion on us because he's mindful of something. What's he mindful of? That we're but dust. He's the, Lord, he's, I, the Lord has compassion on us and he is mindful that we are but dust. And sometimes it kind of helps us to, to, to realize that too. When we fall for the delusion that we're more than we are, uh, we either become proud or excessively burdened with trying to live up to a false image of what we think we're supposed to be. Either that or we, or we kind of uh, live with this sense of, of pretense. We're, we're always trying to put on a, a front or pretend to be more than we are. And you know, when, when, when this truth sinks into us that, 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 that all the power and glory and strength belong to God and that we are weak and fragile and, and dying, it, it just relieves us to be ourselves with one another. It just relieves, it relieves or allows us to live with one another without pretense. We, you can come to me, I can come to you not trying to impress each other, not trying to be uh, important to each other. We just let, let down the, all the, the facades and all the phoniness and we're just, we're just real people. We're just ordinary people. We're just, we're just dust. We're weak, we're fragile, we're dying. Um, and there's something very freeing about that. We are not God. We are human like grass. Our hope is not in ourselves or our plans our hope is not in our power or our inner strength to overcome, except only except as we would view that, the power of the Spirit. Our hope is in God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves, Paul said, but our adequacy is from God. And so as David said, kind of the, the, just the final uh, understanding of all this is considering all of this and considering the brevity of, of life and of our, of our physical life here on this earth, now, O oh Lord, for what do we hope or for what do we wait or to what do we look for good? All, all of my hope is in you. Let's pray.